critic Jeff Andrew of Time Out raved that it looks terrific, moves along in a gallop, and is marvelously good-natured. The Chicago Reader's Dave Kerr calls it a hopelessly schizophrenic film, obscenely eager to compromise its own reality. And Peter Travers of People Magazine said that their space trip may be familiar, but they make it fun. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of explorers. Which one will it be? Greetings, Starfighters and Explorers. Oh, hello, Explorers. For anybody who made it to the end of our last episode (laughs) and saw that we were teasing a different movie for this episode, we apologize, but we had to reschedule our uh, Heavyweights episode, but we have pulled an audible. And uh, uh, which I, perhaps you are listening to this on Audible, though I don't think Audible carries the Rune Childhood podcast don't or know. any podcasts. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, we we apologize for not delivering heavyweights this week, but we promise you that that episode will happen. And we yeah. don't apologize for uh, switching and, like John said, pulling an audible and going with 1985's Explorers. Yeah. And just to give everybody a little bit of background about our theme for this month, which is focusing on child stars. The reason we're doing that is because our Heavyweights episode will feature Box Brown, the author of, and I'm holding up the book right now like I'm David Letterman or something, but Child yeah. Star, uh, a, a new graphic novel by Box Brown about a child star named Owen Eugene. And I'm a, I'm a little ways into it. It's really wonderful. It's, <laughs> you know, it plays like a documentary and it just nails every, I can't wait to talk to Box about it. It's so yeah. good. We also, that, that, the theme kind of, it, it does come from what we talked about a lot last month during July yeah. with at really from beginning to end, because we started with the lost boys and talking about the Corey's and Corey Haim and Corey Feldman and right. Yeah. You know, re- the tragic way that, that they were both treated and the, the, you know, tragic ending that Corey Haim suffered and then we ended the month with uh the client and talking yeah. about brad, brad renfro. renfro which another tragic case of hollywood and it's what being a talented young kid can can bring to you and it's worth it's worth i mean i guess pun unavoidable exploring so, <laughs> well, and we'll talk about that with Box a little bit too, because in Child Star, it does go into some pretty dark areas. It's not just like a, you know, fun times. This is about a precocious little kid kind of situation. It, you know, it definitely well, explores uh, that type of thing that that happens all the time with with kids in Hollywood. 
And and child star focuses on a a child star from the eighties, which is I think, and of course, you know, child star. There have been children since you know. I mean, Shirley been Temple since and the before. beginning of time. There have been children <laughs> since the beginning of time. No, but the, I mean, children in movies, children in TV, and I think the eighties was when it became when we started getting a lot more tabloid television. Yeah, I think that also I think, you know, maybe a benefit of tabloid television was we started to see a lot more of of, we started to see the results before we started to understand the causes of what happened to, you know, talented, bright young people with a lot of potential ended up much in in the same way that uh you know Owen Eugene in Child Star and in real life so many others including mm-hmm. Corey Corey Haim and and Brad Renfro What you talking about dad So and then there's but yeah. then there's also those who have you know quote unquote survived Sure yeah and thrived I, and thrived yeah. and uh, you know what today we're we're kind of going to be looking at both ends yeah, but before we do that, I yes. do want to revisit Joel Lye for just a moment. And first of all, say it's really wild to watch movies that weren't directed by Joel Schumacher <laughs> after like a month of just like cramming in as much Joel Schumacher as possible. You're like, but I did want to point so, out where's the steam? Where's the yeah, steam? I did want to point sweating? out that in uh, 1996, when A Time to Kill came out, that was we were talking about other Samuel L. Jackson movies and how he was like on a real hot streak. And that was really like, I guess like the beginning of when things were really, really blowing up for him. And that was the same year as the long kiss. Good night, 1996. So man, can you think of two more different movies? Probably, but, uh, two very, very different characters all in the same, both in the same year just goes to show you how talented that guy is. He really is. And you again, you start to think about Samuel L. Jackson and the movies around that time. And then, it's, oh, my God, Losing Isaiah was yeah. right around that time and in, incredible dramatic performance. And 1991 uh, was when he was in Jungle Fever, mm-hmm. played Wesley Snipes' brother. Yeah. And was amazing in that. I know he won. I don't think he was nominated for an Academy Award, but he won some awards. And even if he didn't, it's a phenomenal performance by Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel yeah, L. Jackson has popped up in many. Samuel L. Jackson pops up in, in Exorcist 3. Oh, yeah. Randomly. <laughs> randomly. And he's just, it's like during a dream sequence and George C. Oh, Scott weird. looks at him and he's just like, what you looking at? And sorry, um, no, I'm not, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to keep, because we're talking about a, a family film, a PG rated film. As I was about to go for the M, the MF bomb, <laughs> mm-hmm. it occurred to me, rain it in, Dan. So, yeah. Uh, one other thing that I wanted to mention about A Time to Kill, and you had brought up very briefly, that there was a stage adaptation of it. And I just wanted to touch on that a little bit more. It was an it was a Broadway show that lasted only four weeks. Not a musical. Not no my God, no, definitely not a musical. Uh Judge Noose, I don't know if the character name was the same in the in the show, but the judge is played by Fred Thompson, the uh actor turned politician turned then actor again? I did I not know he know. had returned to acting. I believe he was serving in Congress. Fred Dalton Thompson. Yeah, well, I, I mean, he was 
the I, judge in this. So I had no idea. I, honestly, I knew that there was a stage adaptation. I knew that it didn't last long and I could figure out why. So, yeah. And the um, the actor who played Jake Brigance and uh, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he's he's a total Matthew McConaughey look like Sebastian Arculus. Arcelus. If you Google, he was in House of Cards uh, during one of the seasons. Like he pops up in things all the time, and he clearly was cast because he looks like Matthew McConaughey. It's completely ridiculous. And they the A Time to Kill Broadway show had a like YouTube channel that showed like little moments from it was like little monologues from each of the characters, and I think that they actually play up the Roark character more, and hers is over the top. I was raised in my father's law office and could write a brief before I could drive. I've watched men die in the electric chair and by lethal injection. And what did that teach me? This. When I grow up, I want to be a radical criminal attorney and have my name forever associated with the permanent abolition of the death penalty. You can view this man, this defendant, as an issue, as a cause, or, and I'm not proud of it, as an opportunity. You gotta let me in on this. Black father killing two white men who raped his daughter? It's the stuff my dreams are made of. Oh, you know who wrote the adaptation is is Rupert Holmes, best known for Escape, the Pina Colada song. You're kidding me. I'm pr- I'm almost a hundred percent positive the, on that. The same Rupert Holmes, and I'm pretty sure who. Yeah, he also did like the Mystery of Edwin Drood, which is a musical. It was a great musical. Oh, he did Edwin Drood. I I, I no believe. Idea. Hold on, and let me make sure I'm not getting my Ruperts crossed here. Well, There's a lot of rumors. The show looks there. like a hot mess, and it, no surprise that it that uh, it lasted just as long as Joel I lasted. Yeah, and it, which honestly, is sad. It's sad when a show doesn't doesn't uh, make it that far. I mean, it barely lasted as long as Eric Grisham's episode lasted. So, my God, uh, it, I was going to apologize for the length of that episode, but I'm not going to. You can stop it whenever you no. want. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but no, it's no, no, worth no. listening to the end. I, I agree. And well, because what it is, is it's kind of like, you know, when you you see something like you see a, a debate, uh, you see something on the on the news or you're watching court TV, which I don't even know if that still exists. But court TV turned into true TV. Honestly. OK. Sorry. Yeah. Couldn't help that. Uh, true TV. Uh, so I it's, you know, we we have a lot the, of great shows on true TV, but we have the legal we have the legal, you know, part of the show mm-hmm. and then and we had our objections and overrulings and then we have <laughs> our legal analyst. Right. Yeah. So it, it, it yes, I legal legal expert, but also law in the South expert. But yes. Yes. <laughs> at, like, no, no, no. That is not just legal analyst, but someone speaking from the experience of of practicing sweaty law. Right. (laughs) Um, And yes, Rupert Holmes, the uh, the player, as far as I can tell, it is the same Rupert Holmes who wrote the Pina Colada song. And I did not know his name is actually David Goldstein. (laughs) What? 
David Goldstein, this is from RupertHolmes.com. David Goldstein, better known as Rupert Holmes. Wow. Yep. Songs that sound like movies, the complete epic recording. Oh, a three CD box set. Hello. How about that? I don't know. Yeah, it's like it it includes the entire run of the A Time to Kill play. Maybe he should have put music in it. Then at least would have been like so terrible. Uh, It would have been fun. Yeah. It maybe uh, would have lasted a week longer. Well, ultimately, it's kind of like having a book that's like a more contemporary to kill a mockingbird is good and it's useful but having a stage play that's basically like the uh, like b movie version right of to kill a mocking it's like it just dev- it kind of de- the property devalues i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah it's like a it doesn't elevate cover of uh Exactly. You know. it, it doesn't elevate the property. Right. So. So talking can, about elevating things, let's talk about explorers. Yes. Does that does that work? Sustained. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We can drop the courtroom uh, jargon. Will I be held in contempt if I keep it up? <laughs> uh, Dan, before I go on with a synopsis. Yes, this is 1985. It is directed by Joe Dante. It was a script that was kicked around for a while, but once E.T. found success, it was like, yeah, let's do this one. Let's do something that's... A never-ending story, because it was supposed to be directed by Wolfgang Peterson, who coincidentally, perhaps, shares a name with one of the characters. My theory is that the name became that in honor of him like i don't know i mean the only reason why he didn't direct it was because he wanted to shoot it in germany in germany and the yeah. studio was like uh we'll pass on that and yeah maybe northern california yeah so let's keep it local yeah or bay area i think so dan do you remember seeing this for your first time or is this one that's just like my first time seeing yeah. it straight through Straight through? Like, the whole movie. What do you mean, the whole movie? Well, the first time I watched the whole movie, beginning to end, uh, I I was not, not today years old, but two days ago years oh. old, if we're using that. I have never... I don't recall... Look, perhaps at some point in the past, I watched it and completely forgot. I think I remembered starting to watch it once and then it wasn't quite what I expected or wanted it to be. But I don't, I've never, I'm going to go on record as saying I had never watched the entire movie beginning to end until this past week. I know that I had seen it because there were things from the end that when I watched it a few days ago were just like oh yeah I remember this I don't know how I remember this like there were I don't I didn't remember all of the movie but I remember like bits and pieces when I would watch and be like oh yeah that's totally familiar but I think that I always would confuse it in my mind with Flight of the Navigator (laughs) yes I was gonna say I think a lot of those movies around that time because I had that same feeling but then there Mm -hmm. were other things I was like I have not seen this before yeah but then uh you know certain thing parts that you know I'm sure we'll talk about it was like they had that familiarity but but I was like oh that could have been the boy who could fly that oh. could have been uh what yeah like you said flight of the navigator yeah. uh any of those never ending story yeah, yeah. so 
Yeah, so I do, but it, it is celebrating its uh, 35th anniversary. That's right. Yeah. This uh, this summer. So it was released in July 1985. It was released, I think, the day before Live Aid. Oh, was it really? <laughs> and like a week or two weeks after Back to the Future. Oh, okay. Which <laughs> is why. Didn't really succeed all that much so so. and and this was it was directed by joe dante who had success with gremlins and uh, what's before i get into the synopsis we'll just quickly mention this the movie was rushed to release because they had like submitted like a rough cut or something and then the studio which i believe the studio like the movie changed studios like halfway through the studio i think studio executives switch studio executives switch which is like doing anything that's in production it's 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 similar to what happened with ishtar without Mm. the added misogyny yeah Oh, yeah. I think Ishtar was much more of a victim of studio politics, but Explorers was also, I think, just a victim of studio negligence. Well, also, their their whole idea was just like, we got to get this out now because, like, it's going to make so much money. This is the perfect time to release it, not realizing that it was clearly not. And... You know, a lot of things were removed from the movie. Like there was, I think, like an hour and a half worth of stuff that just like disappeared, like a whole family backstory and more spirituality that was, you know, left out of it. And when when you watch the movie without thinking about that, it's good. It's a lot of fun. But if you think about what it could have been, it makes you wonder, like, how much better could this have really been? Yeah, and I, I'm I want to say before you even go with the synopsis, I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, it's fun. I really enjoyed it, and I found it. I I found that it it had meaning, but like you said, there is an implication of deeper meaning, and and there are hints of it still there. There was one thing that I, there was definitely one part that I picked up on, and I was like, wait a second, is this like some crazy interstellar stuff going on here? Oh. <laughs> and, well, we'll, well, we can come back to that after we uh, go over the movie yeah, as a whole. But it, it's funny though, because that that whole it's the spirituality concept that was kind of the center, the core of Exorcist Two, and Joe Dante is on it, it, had said he's like now unfortunately the only movie that will have explored this concept is Exorcist Two. Right? Yeah, I saw that. So for anybody who hasn't seen 1985's Explorers, here you go. Buckle up in your little tilt a whirl pod. In his famous 1971 song, Imagine, John Lennon says, You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Fourteen years later, teenager Ben Crandall took those words to heart. Inspired by extremely vivid dreams in which he's flying above a giant circuit board, he recruits his geeky friend Wolfgang Muller to turn the circuitry of his dreams into reality. Not really giving a shit about what anybody thinks, except maybe his classmate Laurie Swenson. Va-va-voom. Ben gets into a fight with his school bully Steve Jackson and his cronies, introducing him to Darren Woods, who swoops in and chases off Jackson and company. Since Darren, a resident at 123 Other Side of the Tracks Boulevard, lives with his alcoholic father, he takes Ben up on his offer to avoid going home for a bit. Together they visit Wolfgang, who has programmed his computer with the visions from Ben's dreams. 
he ends up creating a mysterious floating object that wreaks havoc in his basement. Once he finds a way to make the object visible and a little bigger, the guys run some more tests and discover that they can make this orb do whatever they tell it as long as it cooperates. During one such experiment, the orb ends up forming around Wolfgang, proving that it can transport a person. Excited at the possibilities, the guys steal some objects from a junkyard, hence the tilt-a-whirl, and build a pod for them to sit in, complete with an oxygen tank and with the orb's help, now named Thunder Road, they can take it for a spin around and above the neighborhood. Their first stop? Obviously the drive-in theater, which plays a campy sci-fi movie about a space hero named Starkiller. They eventually came face to face with the local sheriff's helicopter that orders them to land. But that's when the orb takes control and zips them across the sky, to the edge of the atmosphere, and then safely back to their point of origin. The town is abuzz with news of a UFO sighting, piquing the interest of Sheriff Charlie Drake, who alludes to also having vivid dreams that hadn't been around since he was a child. Despite the near scare on their maiden voyage, the guys decide to take the orb up in the air once more, but this time, the orb completely takes over and brings the guys into outer space and directly inside of a spaceship. As they step out of the Thunder Road, they fall into various traps and into odd tubes. They encounter a spider-like robot that pokes and prods at them. They all seem to get separated at different points. Ben and Darren, now separated from Wolfgang, encounter an alien creature. He's green and cartoonish and has a special talent for mimicking voices first theirs, and then later reveals his ability to recount quotes and songs from American television shows. They find their way to Wolfgang, who is lounging with Neek, a female version of the first alien we encounter. And boy, is she female. In fact, Wolfgang appears to have a romantic attraction to her, and vice versa. The first alien turns out to be Wok, Neek's brother. As it turns out, they took their dad's spaceship without his permission in search of human life, their biggest obsession. Walk admits that he chose Ben because, as a dreamer, he would teach them about human life. Their belief is that if they came to Earth, they would be treated with violence, the same way that it's depicted on television and in B-movies, which Walk and Neek believe to be documentaries. Once Walk and Neek's dad busts them, they send the guys back to Earth, but not before Walk can give Ben an amulet as a gift. The stuff dreams are made of, Walk says. Back on Earth, the Thunder Road sinks into a lake, leaving the guys nothing but their memories and the amulet. But someone else who starts seeing visions in their dreams watches them, Lori Swenson. And once Ben is able to activate the amulet, the guys, along with Lori, can fly together through their dreams over the larger-than-life circuitry. And as Sir Paul McCartney said in his 1989 song, Flying to My Home, the sky is like a painted flag. Above a sea of chrome. I've got a woman living in my life. Living in my home. I'm flying to my home. Sweet Majesty. I'm flying to my home. Ben is played by Ethan Hawke. Wolfgang is played by River Phoenix. Darren Woods is played by Jason Presson. Laurie Swenson is played by Amanda Peterson. Uh, we've got James Cromwell as Mr. Muller. Robert Picardo as Starkiller, Walk, and Walk and Neek's father. And let's see. Me, uh, yeah, Dick Miller as Charlie Drake, the sheriff, and Mishak Taylor as his uh, deputy, I guess, Gordon Miller. Yeah. So 
<laughs> where where do we begin? We uh, begin I, with these synopses are getting a little out of hand, and I'm admitting that myself. Do I think? Well, I don't know. I was like, so you you kind of bookended it there, Lennon McCartney. Is that are you are we also going Hawk Phoenix? Are we are we continuing with like the parallels? <laughs> I. Look, here's here's what happened. So I started with the whole imagine thing because he's a dreamer. Yes. And the the quote just totally works with, you know, what happens in the movie. And then I was like, well, I should probably end this with something similar. So I Googled Paul McCartney flying song and found flying to my home, which is garbage. <laughs> and I was like, hey, this works. I got a woman living in my life. Lori Swenson is in the picture now. Paul McCartney, who had a band called Wings, but apparently did not do any songs about flying until this after. was at least the, this was maybe just the first one that came up. There could be others that we don't know about. He released a lot of albums so. and probably a lot of songs about flying. Honestly, probably Jet. I don't know. Yeah, woo, woo, woo. I don't, that's like the only part of that song I know. Not a, not a huge uh, in fan. in the show uh, Love on Netflix. There's a wonderful scene where. Um, Paul Rust's character is playing music at a party with um, this guy who's played by E from Eels, and they're playing uh, Jet, and it's awesome. It's fun. I get that. No, that sounds good. I imagine it's a fun song to play. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So there's a lot. This is one of those movies, by the way, that if you're watching this now and especially uh, if you're watching this for the first time now, and especially if you are of the younger, younger generation that would not have seen this when it came out. Stranger Things of the there are so many Stranger Things is an amalgam, if you will, of this genre from the 80s, which was really, I think, this kind of kid wish fulfillment subdrama. Kids who have like no supervision, 
you know, yeah. Complete well, also, fantasy. I mean, it was the 80s when you could just be like, yeah, I'm going to go ride my bike until I can't see in front of my face anymore. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, you know, climb rusty fences and go into junkyards. Go into and, junkyards. Yeah. But they, it's this the kid fantasy of it's the... You know the the shy kid, the 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 geeky nerdy kid who somehow they rise uh, they rise above. I, where this is going to be a continuing theme, of course, mm-hmm. in these movies. But there's this adversity. There's the you know quote unquote the kids who beat them up, like you right. know the punks. Which in in Monster Squad, it's EJ, yeah. And his crew, and then oh yeah, well, and then Darren is the Rudy. I mean, Monster Squad came after this, so I guess. Rudy in Monster Squad is the Darren, right here. Yeah. Who you know th- that 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 really cool kid who is like I'm okay, fine. Like I'm gonna hang out with these nerds and get smart, right? Yeah, and well, he's reluctant to hang out with them, but then you know Ben Ethan Hawke's character kind of like follows him home because you know he's just like, hey, this. First of all, Ben is like. This kid is fearless. He doesn't care that he's getting beat up so much. He talks oh, no. back to the bullies as they're like punching him in the face. Yeah. And, you know, he's just so super friendly that he's just like, hey, you help me out there. We should be friends. <laughs> and essentially just like follows him home. And then Darren's just like, uh, I guess my, you know, my dad's home. I guess he didn't get that job. I should probably go somewhere else for a while because clearly there's something going on there. It's that very, is, yeah. yeah. Um, outsiders. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Wolfgang's parents, uh, oh James, Crom- James Cromwell and Dana Ivy. Right. Yeah. Dana Ivy. By the way, John, there are so many, speaking of Dana Ivy and her performance in this, which she uses an accent that reminds me of the accent she, oh wait, I'm, I'm, am I thinking of the wrong person? Uh, is she the one in Adam's family who plays, yes. mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Pinterschloss? Uh, yes. so there's that. There were a few other moments in the movie where I was like, that's something from Neek. Is Neek the prototype for Greta Gremlin? Oh, totally. Totally, <laughs> totally, totally. totally. To- did you catch the Kingston? There's a Kingston Falls reference in yeah. that paper. Yeah. 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 There's there's so many elements. You know, when Ben wakes up in the middle of the night and he walkie talkies. Oh, my Wolfgang, God. And the kids using the walkie talkies. You know, I, I read this great piece uh, last week in the new yorker and it was about how writers are coping with cell phone technology and how like landlines are not how landlines are such a great device in in the in in movies and i i mean i think of cape fear that Mm. that like that great jump scare that comes from the telephone ringing in cape Cape fear Fear. i i've been wanting to rewatch that one for a while i gotta do that i rewatch that one every few years that's so good it's so Uh, good yeah. Uh, so, and the, the phone, one of the many great, great scares in that movie comes from the phone ringing. And it's another lost thing between kids. I don't know if young kids still do that before they get their cell phones. Hmm. Is communicate via. Well, also, it's like in all of these movies, they all live like really close to each other. Right. Well, not Darren. Yeah. I don't think that the walkie talkie makes it to the other side of the tracks. It doesn't reception does not yeah. cross the tracks now. 
that it's like adorable. Oh, and there's also that orb when the little orb is shooting around. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of Gremlins too again. I was thinking of the Electro Gremlin. Oh yeah, the Electro Gremlin. Yeah. There was there is a, a lot. And there's also that you mentioned in the synopsis, Dick Miller's character who co- talks about having these dreams, like similar dreams to, you know, the dreams about these things and how it's, and, and I had this moment of like, wait a second, does he turn out to be like, is that Ben? Like, is that an adult Ben? Oh. Which <laughs> is not the case, but it's no. part of this concept of, of I, the world I mean, mind. The way that I, you know, interpreted it is that, you know, walks and neeks from the past, or it could have been them. We don't know how old they are or, you know, what the lifespan is of, of a creature like that, uh, that they were trying to channel him as a child. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it just so happens that Ben was friends with a kid who could actually make this stuff real. So it's possible that just in the past, they were trying to channel somebody else, such as, you know, Dick Miller's character, and, you know, just nothing ever came of it. Well, they did say they were, they specifically were trying to, you know, get Ben. Well, yeah, they they, they knew they wanted to get Ben, but who mm. knows how many attempts there were in the past. I mean, I think you can also, like, look, Joe Dante had intended it to be part of this like this global this world consciousness where we're all kind we're all kind psych psychically connected mm-hmm. and which is also the concept in Exorcist 2 that allows Richard Burton to enter <laughs> right. Linda Blair's dreams. I also think it just speaks to the imagination that that we have as kids. It speaks so much to that. The movie speaks so much to that because look at Walk and Neek. They're kids who are curious about other worlds, Mm -hmm. just like Ben and Wolfgang. And then Darren gets into it. But for a kid like Darren, he's got to be more grown up. So it's interesting to see how Darren isn't really in touch with that, that imagination, that part of that kid inside. Right. Until he he connects. He had to. Yeah. Yeah. And he had to make, but he's still, he's a good person. He's, yeah. he, he puts the bullies on notice. Right. So, but you see his character as he, as he becomes friends with, with Wolfgang and, and Ben, and they have all these adventures, he's able to be a kid. Right. He's not, he does what, when, when Ben is getting his ass kicked, uh, PG, it's okay. I can say it. He, he does what a teacher should have been doing. This is on school property. Yeah. Who, where was administration? Charles Jones, uh, high school, middle school, junior high. Uh, What was middle school? Junior, uh, probably at that time, junior high. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he gets into that. There's that whole, that excitement, that creativity, that imagination of being, of being a kid. And it's funny because you think about his dreams and you think about that, like, digital landscape and it mm-hmm. kind of looks like the grid from Tron. Yeah. Probably intentionally, but very what if, Tron-y. Well, what if, you know what, this is a kid who would have seen Tron like a hundred times in yeah. the movies. So this is not that long after Tron, this kid would have gone to see Tron. So it's, if you sit there and you're like, Oh, they're ripping off Tron. Mm, yes. And 
it's quite possible that a kid who sees a movie who's obsessed with things like this would see a movie like Tron and where elements of Tron would end up in their dreams. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like when I was watching when I was binge watching the West Wing several years ago and in my dreams, there I was walking and talking with uh, Toby and Josh and Sam. There you go. Yeah. I had office <laughs> dreams as well. So as in the office. Right. But that's neither here nor there. Anyway, share consciousness. Right. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I think that there's a lot of really fun moments in this movie. One thing that I was a little, I don't know, surprised about is that, and this goes for the character of Ben as well, but it's like they do not seem to be as shocked as I feel they should be, that they are in outer space. Like, they seem to be like, of course this is happening. Like, they do, they are on a very small scale amazed by it. But if I was there, I'd be like, guys, I can't even speak right now. Like, what's going on? Oh, I'd be petrified. I'd be so scared of just, like, my head, like, compressing or something. Well, also, it's like... Like, what's going to happen? We're in a fucking... Oh, mm, it's PG-13. It's, it's fine. Tilt-a-whirl. We're in they, a, like, a tilt-a-whirl. They pass by the moon, and they're not just like, oh, my God, there's the freaking moon. Like, I am so close. Like, they're they're not even trying to, like, see the Earth from such a distance. Like, they are less astounded than some kids than I, than some kids I've seen in a planetarium. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Ben has that sense of wonder to him, but it's definitely on a much smaller scale than I feel like it deserves to be. He's much more impressed when he's floating in that bubble outside of Lori's window. So. Va-va-boom. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's not. Great. I know. It's not. No, it's not great. But also like he's 12, 13, you know. Yeah. So, so anyway, it's. I, that's the only, boys that's, my, boys. that's my like only complaint is that they're not just like, holy crap, we are in outer space. Like <laughs> they, they seem to just accept it very quickly. They're well, on an alien spaceship. They're interacting with aliens and they're very much just like, interesting. Hmm. I wonder what's going on. You know, they're not. Well, they're there for 20 minutes and Wolfgang is like dating one of them. Yeah. <laughs> so. I love I just, before we kind of get into discussing more of the uh, and going back to the the themes. I want to just take a moment to go back to the, to the themes. So there's that theme of that childlike of that wonder. Mm-hmm. But what's what's what I love about Wack and Neek is that they're also curious, but they're also afraid. And mm-hmm. just like those science fiction movies that Ben watches. It's about the evil aliens and the Martians and the War of the Worlds, and they come to invade, and it's propaganda. Yeah. And Wok and and Neek have seen the same thing, and they also want to know. And this is kind of another thing they miss, because they're... I guess the, the kids are kind of scared at first, but they have this similar fear, and they... Because they see propaganda, and... They think, oh, if we go to Earth, we're going to get killed. Right. And except I'm watching that and and thinking from this behavior, from what we're seeing, that is more likely. Right. 
But you have to imagine they've also seen things like E.T. where they're just like, oh, but children, you know, if we can yes. find a way to talk to a child, then maybe we have a chance of not being killed on the spot. Right. Yes. So children who have that that wonder. Yeah. But also that like not the hate. Right. Which clearly Ben does not have the hate. He's, you know, taking it from the bullies and just like mocking them, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So just to uh, and by the way, I, I have to note at a certain point I'm watching it. I'm like, this reminds me of a Rick and Morty episode. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> not that Rick and Morty have done an Explorers episode, but just the whole the idea of like they get to this they're on this spaceship not acting very phased at all right and the aliens of course just have these like weird questions or want to know these things and and even neek falling for wolfgang would that would happen to morty okay i i don't watch rick and morty oh you haven't okay yeah i tried it it just didn't take Oh, very bizarre. Very bizarre. But there was, yeah, a few episodes that I found to be very funny. So, um, but yeah, that whole part where Ben is explaining to the alien, like, uh, no, those are just movies. That's not real. And Mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, but I guess people on Earth are kind of crappy. Great performance, by the way, by Robert Picardo. Right. Robert Picardo, as we have previously discussed on our Inner Space episode, the cowboy. Mm -hmm. The cowboy. So good gremlins gremlins too so joe right. dante which joe dante and if, like we have the joel schumacher players there's the, the joe, joe dante, dante players. players as well yeah. robert robert picardo is the robert picardo and dick miller are the joe dante players. Dick miller for sure yeah i was watching this movie and it made me think so much of how good joe dante is at just at capturing that imagination and and showing you what really is i think close to a child's fantasy of a like think about it if you're the kid who gets beat up at at school all the time you get picked on your wish is to be like oh yes screw you i'm gonna build a spaceship out of a -a tilt-a-whirl yeah and fly that right through the movie screen at the (laughs) drive-in right oh it's it's very satisfying it's I mean, it's a fantasy movie. Imagine if Joe Dante had directed Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I would like to see that. I I miss Joe I know Dante. We're, we're not talking about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids today. We <laughs> may at some point, so I, I want to reserve will. discussion. But as I was watching this movie and thinking about Joe Dante's gifts, and I think about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which is a movie that is very visually impressive, but I feel like there's... I, Joe Johnston in general, I think I feel like his movies have there's like a barrier where it's like I'm enjoying watching this, but I'm not connected to it. Mm-hmm. Not in the way where I connect to a movie like Explorers or right. really any of Joe Dante's movies where he brings in you can relate, you can connect. He's got that Explorers was supposed to explore the world mind. This is kind of the world heart you know those things that deep down we can all identify with and that you know being a kid and wanting to be to expand beyond the boundaries of being a kid and to do something extraordinary and whether it's you know something a little bit older like a 
you know, Billy Peltzer in Gremlins, though you still have the Corey Feldman character in, in Gremlins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you have the those those kids God, who are I like, forget that he's in Gremlins. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like that, hey, yeah, we're we got this thing going on and we're gonna stop it, and it's happening here in my town. It goes through everything. The Monster Squad, Flight of the Navigator, that I'm going to be the last Starfighter. I'm going to be the kid who, that video game kid who everyone says, if you just keep going playing video games, you're going to go nowhere. Well, mm-hmm. I'm going to go nowhere they've ever heard of before. Yeah. So he captures that so well. And I think of a movie like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids that I don't, I never really felt like I connected to. And just felt, wow, mm. what if what if like a 1989 Joe Dante had directed Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Well, you also have to remember that he did like The Burbs, which, which you was know, 1989. Ca- yeah, which he he does such a good job of capturing small town life in like, a, you know, a lot of his movies, the weird things happening in small town like suburbia. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Honey, Look, I Shrunk the, the Kids is a weird thing that happens in suburbia. The extraordinary, the what's yeah. going on next door at Corey Feldman Again, Corey Feldman, mm-hmm. a, a Joe Dante player. Yeah. So I, uh, we've talked about James Cromwell, talked about Robert Picardo, Dick Miller a little bit. Let's start talking about our child stars. This is the first time we've ever seen Ethan Hawke, and this is the first film for River Phoenix. Yeah, Ethan Hawke went to the audition to hang out with his friend, and right, I think it was Joe Dante. It was just like, oh, that kid looks. I, th- I remember hearing Ethan Hawke on a podcast a few years ago, and he talked about his start, which was exactly this. And man, what a what a first time <laughs> knocking it out of the park. He's so good. He's so good. And it's no wonder that he's gone on to do so many amazing things. Uh, I I mean, I, I love his uh, Linkletter films and... Uh, I don't know if you saw the movie Juliet Naked that came out uh, a couple of years ago, maybe a year or so ago. No, uh, I've heard Chris of Chris O'Dowd it, but... and Rose Byrne. It's really, really good. He plays like an uh, an an aged rock star who's kind of fallen out of I don't know everybody's consciousness, and I it's mean, very look, good. E- Ethan Hawke's career has been. I think very much of his making, but part of that has to do with the fact that Explorers wasn't a hit. Mm, yeah. Explorers was a failure and he was kind of the the lead and he kind of stopped. He he went he was like, Okay, well, I guess I'm gonna go to high school, I'm gonna go, you know, get a degree in English. And like, you know, he he was just kind of like, okay, well, I tried this and that was fun, but that didn't work. I I, I can only imagine he also had, I know his parents were divorced and mm. I imagine he had solid guidance and, and support, but he was also kind of allowed to go back and be a kid. And it wasn't until it, it was four, four years later mm-hmm. that he does dead poet society Right. And then that oh, re- God, it's so good. That's what really kind of launches his his career. The uh, you know, Explorers was a was a false start. I read an interview with Ethan Hawke in the Irish Times uh from twenty seventeen. The he was Irish an, Times. He was promoting a, a film that he had made in, in Ireland. Uh, was it started with Sally Hawkins? Oh, in a, in oh, with Sally like. Hawkins. Because I'm yeah. pretty sure that Juliet Naked was also in Ireland. Anyway, 
Possibly. I mean, I think he is Irish and his, I know also his daughter was, was over there shooting. His a, daughter also in Stranger Things. Oh, season yes. Season three. Three? Three. Wow. Okay. Sorry. Never <laughs> made him. Yeah. His daughter with, with she's Uma great. Thurman. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he said, he, he, he talks in this interview about the, the failure of Explorers and his decision that he was going to, you know, to just like go to college, get an English degree at, at NYU. And then it's Dead Poet Society. But he was still wary of the business. Mm-hmm. And, he was he and River Phoenix were on their, you know, both did their first movie together. And he says, yeah, and River did make it. So I felt that very intensely. I saw that it was possible and that it hadn't happened for me. Mm. I felt that I had failed, but that prepared me. We should talk a little bit about River Phoenix also to give context about how their trajectories went. And we, and we can come back to Ethan Hawke. Yeah, um oh well yeah sure no 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 it's just he's he's commenting here on on River Phoenix mm-hmm. which I didn't want to necessarily jump into this part yet but he does he talks about he says it's not a good thing for a child to have coffee brought to them by an adult. Yeah. Oh. It's a dance with fire I witnessed that with River's death. So wow. to kind of say to lead us into talking about River Phoenix yeah if he's on this movie set and having coffee brought to him yeah there's something not right there yeah i mean river phoenix he was raised on a commune south america yeah i mean he was born here in oregon where i am uh but then was raised uh in yeah in in this commune and i don't know exactly how he ended up you know doing you know starting to get into acting i, I haven't done that research but yeah he he really got off to like a, a very fast start and uh you know same with his brother leaf aka joaquin who who is i think the year after this was in space camp right uh yes yeah yeah so that's also you know showing two people who had the same exact upbringing but you know one of them certainly taking their life in a in a more extreme direction. Uh, well, yeah, not to he, say that he didn't have that. Joaquin didn't have his his issues. He sure did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But but, but like, he got but through it, as we've seen. Yeah, as yeah. we've seen. But also that following year is River Phoenix in Stand by Stand me, by Me, mm-hmm. which just, I right. mean, if it, you know, this introduced him, hit. but that really hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, then of course went on to do a lot of really awesome work in some more independent films and what oh i'm i'm uh doing a little in the moment research here on river phoenix and did you not know when you chose your quotes for the synopsis at the beginning that his middle name jude is (laughs) from hey jude i did not know that his middle name was jude Oh man, <laughs> mom. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so River Phoenix, you know, he went, he did My Own Private Idaho, like Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones, <laughs> yeah, Last Crusade. You know, he was this like teen idol. He was this kid who like everybody was fawning over, and um, of course, was it ninety three? He died. I want to say ninety three. Ninety three. Yeah, uh, very famously 
died outside the Viper Room. Uh, yeah, which he co-owned that co-owned with Johnny with Depp. Johnny Depp. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, just to give you a little background on on River Phoenix here, and I think this gives a lot. Um, this is from Wikipedia, so credible. Uh, in 1973, the family joined a religious cult named the Children of God. The family had settled in Caracas, Venezuela, where the Children of God had stationed them to work as missionaries and fruit gatherers. And he was quoted, River Phoenix was quoted as saying they're disgusting, they're ruining people's lives. That, And according to an article in Vanity Fair, he was raped at age four and lost his virginity yes. at age four. Uh, which he also said in an interview, but that he he blocked it out. But then also like the reasons why this is thrown into question is years later, Joaquin would claim that River was joking that and saying it was literally a joke because he was so tired of being asked ridiculous questions by the press. So hmm. who knows? But they officially uh, they moved back in the late 70s. They moved back to the States uh, because the leader of this group was getting powerful and wealthy and was, yeah, it was like he was basically pimping out church members to bring in rich disciples. I don't, uh, yeah, it, yeah, it's weird. He kind of reminds me of that, the cult leader character in, in Mandy. If, if you, I know, I haven't seen, seen Mandy. Yeah. Yet. Um, I will. Yeah. It, it, it is crazy bonkers uh so yeah and then he he started i guess his mom started working as a secretary for an nbc broadcaster and then oh okay oh that no the kids were singing for spare change in westwood in in the westwood area of la and a talent agent spotted them and started booking them in commercials. Wow. Okay. Singing yeah. on the street, literally plucked from obscurity. And this is just from memory. I believe they also have a sister named, is it Moon or Summer? Summer. Summer. Was there a and Moon? Or am I thinking, I th am I just going complete Zappa here? There's Rain. 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 Yeah. No. Okay. So, yeah. And uh, yeah. Leaf, who then, of course, became Joaquin but not before starring or co-starring in Space Camp, which has many. Uh, there, there's a lot of Space Camp references in the the rooms of the kids and explorers. There's for some reason Space Camp is a big thing, which is also big in the news right now. They're in danger of uh, vanishing. So I'm getting a lot of yes. uh, targeted ads being like save Space Camp. I have a. Uh, a Old friend from high school and her husband, I want to say works for, for NASA or is involved in NASA. He's like a astrophysicist hmm. and, but yeah, so she's been posting things online about safe space camp. So, Hey, like safe space camp. That's, yeah. that, that's a worthwhile cause. Back in my uh, television days, I was, you know, trying to do some development stuff to uh, sell some shows. And one of them that we were pitching around was a reality show about space camp called One Small Step. And it, I think that there's something now called One Small Step, but it, I don't think it has anything to do with space camp. But 
Wouldn't that be such a great name for a show about space camp? One small step. Yes. <laughs> yes. You you saw the look on my nobody else. John saw the look on my face just now. Although I think I think I remember you mentioning that at some point. I think point I've got a one sheet somewhere. I I always thought that was a great idea. I remember because I had contacted people with space camp and they kind of were like. I don't know if it's as interesting as you think it is, which is so funny because so many people are always just like, they should make a reality show out of my work. That's kind of what everybody would always say when I was in the reality TV world. <laughs> Oy vey. Yeah. So, so anyway, space camp. But yeah, I mean, but yeah, these they're, they're, they're kids. I mean, when you're kids, especially in the 80s, and this was pre-Challenger. Right. Almost every kid had an obsession with space travel at some point. Mm-hmm. I did. Space is like, cool. Yeah. And when you're a kid, it's just, it's exciting and cool and fun and creative yeah. and there, anything could happen in space. You know, no one can hear you scream. Oh boy. Yeah. So space is, space is exciting when you're a kid. And I like these mo- movies like E.T. Cause I think like, like there was Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but right. that was more grown up. Right. I, yeah. That's about an adult who has the, the wonder of what's out there. I mean, that was kind of the whole idea with E.T. was like, oh, man, imagine if we did this with kids. Yeah. Well, because kids have so much have that imagination and kids aren't going to like also see an alien and want to kill it right away. They're going right. to you know, dress it up, especially if it looks anything like Neek. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So They're, uh yeah. so funny. We talked about uh, our rising stars. River Phoenix and, and Ethan Hawke. Uh, did you want to come back at all to, was there somewhere, somewhere where you left off in the, the Ethan Hawke interview? Well, I think, and I think it's, it's worth noting, like we know about Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke has had success in independent film, in foreign film, in mainstream films, like, uh, you know, uh, Gattaca, Reality Bites. Yeah. He was like a, the, the poster child for being a Gen Xer. Right. Totally. In, in Reality Bites. Now, River Phoenix, who also had that going for him, because he had so much success at a young age and so much money, like he bought all this like land when he was 18. He bought his, like, bought his mama house, mm-hmm. um, bought land in Costa Rica when he was 18. He was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. When he was in, uh, was it 1988? Oh, by the way, did you know he was up for the role of uh, of Bill in Bill and Ted? Really? Yeah. No way. Yes way. Yeah. Oh man, so another uh, River Phoenix Keanu Reeves pairing. Yeah. Well, he he met Keanu Reeves when Keanu Reeves was shooting Parenthood. Oh no, no way. way. With Leaf. Yes way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So and then they went on to do. They were in Gary. I Love You to Death and. Mm-hmm. My own private. Gary's been slapping the salon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, my own private Idaho, which is so good. Oh, so powerful. Yeah, and it's just it's 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 powerful. But then when you watch it, and you see River Phoenix, and you just see the the fragility in his performance, right? And what's what's also interesting is that like when he was doing the stuff as as a kid, like Explorers and Stand by Me, it's like. Yeah, he's convincing at being this character, but I don't know if you would necessarily be like, what a great actor. It's like, what a good 
competent child actor, but like he really developed into like a really, really great actor. Well, running, running on empty, the movie he was nominated for is pretty exceptional in that. Yeah. If I remember correctly, it's been, been a long time, but I'm just saying like the first couple of movies, it's like, I mean, he's, he's good, but he also saw something in him where just like, you know, we got to develop this. He also didn't want to play Wolfgang. He wanted to play Darren. Well, who wouldn't want to play Darren? He's so cool. Yeah. So, but that was the thing. Like he, River Phoenix, uh, Joe Dante uh, did an article, uh, an interview with The Rap and was talking about how River Phoenix would always take off the glasses when the girls were around. And of course, River Phoenix and Ethan Hawke had a little romantic rivalry going on for the affections of Amanda Peterson. Amanda Peterson, who we also lost. I mean, she we should died talk about her. 2015, I believe. She yeah. uh, of an accidental drug overdose. I think that it was had to do with some sort of combination of prescription medication she was taking, and I think the morphine was was involved. But yeah, she had a she had a rough go. But she yeah, was tw- 2015. Yeah, 2015, and um, so she was also in. Can't buy me Can't love. Can't buy me love. Yeah, Can't buy me love. Another summer hit of 1987. Summer of 87, man. Yeah. Yeah, so uh very sad, very sad. Um Yeah, but she and it, it looks like she had a like some she had career, a bit of a career. You know, appearances on uh different different shows and in different films. But it seems like it, this was really between explorers and can't buy me love that was the the peak and it's hard once you have that once you hit that that high of success right can be tough for a lot of people to move forward yeah i mean it's (laughs) so great that ethan hawk didn't have that same experience and he you know took a different road and you know didn't act for a little while and didn't have that life for a little while yeah. Yeah. And I'd be interested at some point, I'm sure we'll, we'll find out over the course of the, of the next few episodes, but what I'm interested to talk about, maybe box has some, some insight on this. Is there a mental health professional? Is there a child psychologist on set? Well, you also have to keep in mind that the state of like, you, you know, the perception of mental health in the eighties is very different than the way it is now. Oh, I mean, like, is that a reform that's happened? Because mm. to me, that's like a, whoa, they are. Yeah, no, clearly they didn't have, they did not have that in the 80s. And it was a stigma. And of course, you the last thing you'd want any director to think is like, oh, no, they found out I'm in therapy. They're never going to hire right. me. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's how a lot of these drug problems happen. I mean, they could all be, you know, none of these are unpreventable yeah so yeah. uh well pour one out amanda peterson river phoenix very dick very miller. tragic i mean dick, dick miller, miller was, yes okay dick fine. miller died uh, of natural i believe natural I was, causes i was speaking more of the yeah. child stars <laughs> uh, we're, we're pouring them out for the child stars too yeah, yeah. uh yeah. so i absolutely am i'm a huge fan of ethan hawk's work i'm so glad that uh he Picked up acting after after his little hiatus as a kid, uh, but his his performance in Explorers is really tremendous. He really captures that state of wonder that that a, a kid 
with, you know, all these dreams could could really have. So, uh, and I'm sorry, we are neglecting to even really mention Jason Presson, who plays Darren, right? And who I really have not been able to find much. Yeah, not much about him. Yeah, I I think Jason Presson just seems to be maybe one of those guys who, like, I think he's still. He was oh he's in Gremlins too. He pops up in Gremlins too. But <laughs> yeah, after 1991 yeah. he kind of stopped acting. He was in uh in the heat of the night, the TV show. Yeah, uh rug an episode of Rugrats. Yeah, TV movie yeah. called Never Forget. But yeah, Gremlins 2 was the last like movie that he was in. Um so yeah. But 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 it seems I, I I'm guessing he you know like it made it out, made it out. He survived. So far as we know. Yeah. Yeah. Really can't find much, much on him. So Jason, if, if, if Jason Presson, if you are listening, please email us at ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Yeah, we'd love to catch up Let, with you. We, we hope you're doing well because we really liked you in Explorers. Yeah. And, I mean, even if we didn't, we would hope you're doing well. Yeah. And perhaps there's even room for an Explorers sequel focusing on Darren Woods. Oh, go ahead, John. Do no, no, no. That's not, what, that my, not, that's not what my suggestion would be. However, he could find his way into my actual suggestion. So, thinking about child stars, there's one name for me that sticks out more than any other name, and that's Jacob Tremblay. Yeah, I mean, hello. He's just so great. And... I don't know, Dan. Have you seen the movie Good Boys? I have. I what did yes. you think of Good Boys? Uh, I, I, I didn't like. There were there were a few things about it. like I was amused, but there were definitely a few things about it that didn't sit well with me. Okay. So it had nothing to do with with, Jace, with Jacob Tremblay. Okay. So yeah, I I don't know. I, he's great. He's I, great. He's, he's great. I think that that movie is it's very very funny, and I would love to see a Good Boys sequel that is also an Explorers remake. <laughs> because I like those three kids together, and yes, at the end of Good Boys, they kind of like they drift apart. But what if the one thing that brings them back together is a shared dream? If it was just kind of an almost like a South Park Explorers episode. Where it was just kind of like, where as you're watching the movie, if you've seen Explorers, you're like, is this, expl- is this are they doing Explorers? But it would be so great if like, you do have an appearance by, you know, Darren Woods, who's, you know, kind of this guy who they run into is just like. Maybe he's I, their teacher. I had this experience one time. Yeah, right. Oh, like Kiefer Sutherland in the Flatliners <laughs> exactly. remake? Exactly. <laughs> I know a thing or two about good days to die. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, or you could get an Ethan Hawke appearance in there. Um, but anyway, or hey, maybe James Cromwell. There's some sort of connection there. But anyway, I, I don't know. I, I just think that it'd be really fun because I was thinking about Jacob Tremblay, who, of course, would be... A, on the top of the list to to get involved with something like this. And then it's like, well, who would I want him with? And it's like, honestly, I want him with those kids from Good Boys. They're, they have such great chemistry together. They play off each other so well. Um, I also like the idea of in in that genre of comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
taking a sequel and making it a remake of another movie. Why not? It's I'm trying to think what it, like I mean our like studio property does that even matter anymore? You know, I guess it's who who yeah. Uh, I'm not considering the you know the the ownership of the rights for anything like that. Uh but no. that is it is worth mentioning that uh that Explorers was the the first movie that was an actual like co-production with Industrial Light and Magic. So the the reason why it is so effects heavy and uh it I don't know really pushes it is because of the involvement with ILM. Is it ILM in Universal? Paramount. Paramount. Yeah. Which, uh, and then, you know, they were going to do, there was talk of a remake and then there was a, a talk of like a, a TV adaptation a few hmm. years ago. But the thing, the thing that I want to stress the most is that Joe Dante has to be involved. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I would like to see, and I've reached out via Twitter to Joe Dante and have no. gotten no response, but a director's cut if there's all of this footage and if the movie if the like you know we talk this is another thing we talked about with ishtar which where it's like did it really call for a director's cut to add in 45 seconds yeah this sounds like it actually calls for a director's cut because joe dante says like it's as big it's not what he wanted to make it's why he doesn't you know remember this movie so fondly so i first of all i would just love to see a, a either a director's cut or a remake based on his original, on those original premises right, yeah. of, of his and, and the screenwriters. Yeah, so I hear you. I, and, and I think, and that perhaps would not potentially be the, the good boys Two remake. That would be kind of a, more of a straight up remake. Uh, and I, for which I don't necessarily have casting suggestions, but I, I well, just as Ethan Hawke and pretty much River Phoenix were unknowns, it's like yeah. you never yeah. know who you're yeah. going to cast that's going to just like be the exact right person. No, and I I did have a couple of ideas for for sequels or or spinoffs. First of all, I think we're coming up on on ten years. I think it's time for. Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy to go where they have yet to go before Moonrise. I think Ethan Hawke and and Julie Delpy and Richard Linklater need to get together and get into the tilt a whirl and yeah, <laughs> yeah it's before just, dinner <laughs> before Moonrise. It's before yeah before no moonrise. before Moonrise before Moonrise. There it is, and they just because they just need some time alone to talk, and the only way they can do that is by leaving the planet. They've done they've done Midnight Sunrise Sunset Sunrise sunset. was the first one. Right. Sunset was the second one, and then the third one was. Midnight. All right. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, before my midnight. other. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My other idea would be for a a sequel where a, a kind of a kind of a remakey sequel, but a sequel in which which brings back Ethan Hawke. You would just call it Explorer, uh, and it would be again, you know, where an alien species has made has made some type of communication and if you produced it today you could have a you could have it be the same species that that's like look 
you said this wasn't what you were all about, but we have been watching things and and we've gotten better and we've known how to fill. We don't we're not watching the movies. We're just watching what we know to be representations of what is actually happening on Earth. Mm -hmm. And it looks bad. Right. (laughs) And maybe maybe like the aliens making contact with Ethan Hawke, who, of course, goes on to be a NASA scientist um, and having making communication or maybe he's not, I don't know. Maybe he's a video game designer and one way or another, they, they make contact with him and they're like, you know, maybe it's a warning and maybe they're saying there's talk out here of getting rid of you guys. If you don't stop messing around. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It sounds, it's a little arrivally also at Astra or as I call it, Brad Astra. Or I call it I Dad s- Astra because it's about his father. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I saw Tommy it. Tommy Jones. I saw it in the theater. So Really? Yeah. I tried watching it on a plane and then oh. I tried watching it, right? But then I tried watching it at home where I have like great TV and surround sound and stuff. And I was just like bored to tears. I was really hoping you were going to say, I tried watching it on a plane. I tried watching it on a train. I no. tried watching it in the house. I tried watching it with the mouse. No, it is not a um a Dr. Seuss. Production. I just could not get through it. Please explain to me, Brad Pitt. Yeah, I think you know, somebody made the point um not too long ago that like when Brad Pitt is in if he's like co-starring if he's not like the lead that's when he really shines you know if he's the supporting best if he's a supporting actor that's when he like really shines because yeah he has the flexibility to not have the entire movie on him so it's can get a little weird but uh yeah ad astra i think is a perfect example of like eh, maybe maybe a little less it was cool looking there were a lot of things that were really cool looking about it yeah i mean i don't know it was one of those nights like we had a babysitter and my wife and mother-in-law I think we're going, went to go see Downton Abbey and I I wanted to see Downton Abbey, but did not want to go with the two of them. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I, I I just don't want to be a third. And also my mother-in-law tends to talk during movies. So, um, but, uh, I went to see, I did eventually, I actually, I think I did watch Downton Abbey on a plane and it was quite good. Perfectly fine plane movie. I'm a I'm a down I'm a Downton Abbey fan. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So but, getting back to explorers. explorers yeah. I, no, I think that there there is room for some sort of revisit to the to the property. I I love your idea of like giving it it's giving Joe Dante his due to like you know create the the thing that he wanted to create. And maybe he directs it or maybe he picks a director. Sure. Like, this is kind of, this is what I would like to see more of going on. And I'm sure it happens, but where a director like a like a, a Joe Dante, a Steven Spielberg, and Steven Spielberg has mentored directors, we know yeah. this. But really to see a lot more like Frank Oz is another one who I would love to see like really take someone under under their wing and not teach them to be them. Yeah. Well, but okay. Say, I don't- I don't know if there is any of that going on here, but I went to a screening of Scott Pilgrim when it was like first coming out 
at the AFI Theater in Los Angeles. And it was like, it was some sort of special screening. And Edgar Wright was there sitting with Joe Dante. And they're clearly buddies. There's There may be some sort of mentorship thing that has happened in the past. But it's like, look, I would trust Edgar Wright any day of the week with a movie like Explorers. You know, I... I dare say I would trust Edgar Wright with almost anything I know. Yeah. Like Edgar Wright hasn't really done drama. I can't think of any Edgar Wright directed dramas off the top of my head, but I think Edgar Wright would direct a damn fine drama. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I think just his skill, yeah, cause his character, you know, there's a connection to characters uh, definitely in, in his work. I, I think, and I like Edgar Wright, I like the idea of Edgar Wright working with young people. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Edgar Wright would be a fine director to work yeah. with Joe Dante. As would many other directors be great for explorers. Agreed. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. So. Well, Dan, do you have any other thoughts about explorers before we wrap it on up? No, just I recommend it if you've never seen it it's before. Fun. It is fun. It is. You kind of have to roll with it because it just goes in some unexpected directions. It is. And one of the reviews that I read of it compares it to the other, you know, post Spielbergian Mm -hmm. films of of the 80s. And it really being a standout in terms of like the just creativity and not, not going the expected route with it. Right. Yeah, so it's a lot of fun. Check it I, out. I definitely recommend it. We are still working out our scheduling for the next episode, but it will possibly be heavyweights. It may be heavyweights. It may not be heavyweights. Yeah, we will. But trust. But we do have a lineup, and yeah. we are <laughs> we're ready to go. But we're excited to bring in some some folks to to yeah, talk about these movies guests. and. Yeah, some fun guests. So to far, talk the about. so far the guests that we have lined up, both from our hometown. Yes. So uh, for anybody who's unfamiliar with the town of Cranford, New Jersey, you're going to get familiar with it. Uh, you are going <laughs> to hear a lot about Cranford. Yeah. In the coming weeks. So. Oh, one one other thing I want to mention. Uh, this movie has some very pivotal scenes at a, a drive-in theater. Well, one one scene at a drive-in theater and then other mentions to the drive-in theater. Uh, we are living in a time when theaters are closed. Uh, I hear that some are planning to open back up, which is scary. And a lot of uh, theaters or organizations are going into the, the drive-in route, such as our hometown theater is doing mm-hmm. drive-in movies at a, a nearby location. And uh, I've been involved with a, a Portland uh, organization. So I work at the Portland Art Museum and our sister organization is the Northwest Film Center, which typically has movie screenings year round in the theater at the Portland Art Museum, but also in other locations for different kind of cinema experiences. And we are going to be starting up a drive-in theater um, situation, which we've done in the past, but uh, bringing it back because it just makes sense. It's the only way that we're going to be able to do it. So um, yeah, if you uh, go to nwfilm.org or if you just Google Northwest Film Center drive-in, Portland drive-in, you'll find it. And uh, there's a really great lineup and it's uh, it's going to be pretty cool. So Yeah, def- if you have that near you, accessible to you, 
whether it's in Portland or elsewhere, patronize your your drive-in, your local drive-in movie theaters. I don't think they're doing that near near me, but as as John, as you've seen, I've put my I've got my projector yeah. and screen. I watched Explorers in my backyard, which was really fun. Great way to watch it, I'd say. Great way to great way to watch it. And Explorers would be an excellent choice for a, a drive-in movie. So I think that, you know, if I was programming a series of drive-in movies it would be movies that have drive-in theaters in the movie you'd have the outsiders you know there there would be a lot of really fun ones grease um i I just watched an episode of cheers that took place at a drive-in theater so what it's true in the last season recollection of that it's in the last season so uh anyway all right folks (laughs) maybe we'll be talking about uh heavyweights on the next episode Until then, good journey. Good journey into the stars.